This is the Word of God from the household of David Church. It is a message designed to raise men after God's own heart. Listen and be blessed. Thank God for the power that is in His Word and the ability of the Word to transform, to lift up, to change a man. Glory to God. I believe there will be the revelation of Christ in the house this morning. And there will be light in the house. Well, I'm not the one ministering this morning. We have uh, such a wonderful man of God. It's a privilege to have him here this morning. And he will be ministering to us. Are you set? Hallelujah. So we have today in our midst, we have Reverend Vida, Vida Lingard. He is the director of Rema Bible Training College, Kenya. And himself and his wife are both graduates of Rema um, in the year 2000 and 2002, 2001, 2002. And in 2006, after completing their bachelor and master's degree in engineering and church leadership and business at Oral Roberts University, they relocated to Kenya to pioneer a Bible school that equips pastors and leaders in rural areas of East Africa. Today, with the help of a national team that they oversee, they oversee multi, multiple campuses across Kenya, their main focus is to train and transform people with God's word in a way that affects their everyday life and gives them tools to transform their communities. Their ministry is impacting Kenyan government officials, doctors, church leaders, community leaders, from the country's urban areas to remote villages of the Somalia border. That's a serious one. They are working on opening a book distribution center, conducting business and entrepreneurship seminar, hosting ministry conferences, and carrying the gospel message to the unreached areas. Vida and Catherine, together with their young children, Lisa, Anna, and Sarah, reside in Nairobi, Kenya. Hallelujah. I would like this morning to receive God's servants. Let's together stand on our feet and welcome Reverend Vida to household of David. Please make it loud. Just welcome him. You're welcome. Sir. Hallelujah. Praise God. Good morning. Are you well? Yes, sir. Did I come to the right place? Yes, sir. That's wonderful. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Pastor Shola. Thank you for having us. We've been looking forward to coming to, to your house today. You all may be seated. Thank you so much. And I come with, uh, I come with greetings from Reverend Tooks. You know Reverend Tooks? Yes. Okay, praise God. Greetings from him. I also carry greetings from Pastor Kenneth Hagen. He said to send greetings to Lagos when I go. And then uh, I spoke to my wife this morning. My wife and my daughters, they happen to be in Tulsa, Oklahoma today. And they, they sent greetings from there as well. So, praise God. Thank you for that introduction. Are you expecting from God today? You know, it's not about man's words. It's about what he has to say. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, Father, for everything you've given us. Your mercy, your grace, your life, your love. We could never praise you and thank you enough. Yet we do praise you. We do thank you. Now, Father, today give me words to speak. The ones that you would have me to speak. And give us listening ears, understanding hearts. And help us, Father, to see how to implement to be doers. Because it is doers that are blessed in our doing. We thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 This morning, I'm going to talk to you about the subject of heritage. The subject of heritage. 
a little bit about my heritage. My wife and I, we are both third-generation Pentecostals. All of our parents were Pentecostals. Every single one of our grandparents, they were all Pentecostals. That's a little bit of who we are, where we come from. We are both originally from Norway. We've spent about 20 years in Tulsa under Rayma, Or Roberts, T.L. Osborne, and so forth. And then we've worked in, in East Africa, like was said, since now since 2006. Our family has a lot of deacons, missionaries, some pastors, bivocational pastors. I don't know that we have any full-time pastors in our family. Uh, my uncle, he planted the first Pentecostal church on the island of Malta, where Paul was shipwrecked. The very first one, Pentecostal, was in 68, somewhere around there where he planted that church. I have another uncle, uh, actually my wife's uncle, was missionary in Congo, the DRC, when the Rwandan genocide broke out and basically all the foreigners fled the country at that time in, in the 90s. From there, they went to Niger, just north of us, or you say Niger, you know, the country north of us, and they were missionaries there for some time. Uh, my grandfather, he taught the very same Sunday school class for 50 years. Now think about that. 50 years. The very same class every single Sunday for 50 years. That means you start when you're about 25 and you finish when you're 75. And every single Sunday for all, you know, faithfulness is not measured in one Sunday. You can't prove faithfulness in one Sunday. You can't really prove it in one year. It takes longer than that. My father, he worked for the ministry that operated the printing press that printed the first Kenneth E. Hagen books in the Norwegian language in about 1979 or so. And he was working there at, for that ministry that, that had that printing press. So when I was about eight years old, I read the book, I Believe in Visions. Anybody know about that book? Kenneth E. Hagen, I Believe in Visions. I was about eight years old, and now mine, I grew up Pentecostals, used to the healing message and so forth. But when I read about this man who said he had not had a single headache since 1933, I said, wait a minute. Because in our circles, we believed in healing, but it was always a thing of some people get healed, a lot of people don't get healed, we don't really know why we believe in healing, and sometimes it happens and sometimes it doesn't. You understand what I'm talking about? And I said, this man has never been sick since he found out about the healing message. I said, this man knows something that my family doesn't know, that all the ministers that I know, all the deacons and pastors, he knows something. I want to go see this man. So I was 15 years old when I left my father's house and I traveled to Tulsa, Oklahoma, and I lived there for, for a year or two to study. That's a little bit about my heritage. And many people go, wow, every single grandparent is a Pentecostal and so forth. Well, I thank God for that. And, and I have a responsibility as, as a personal responsibility I can do something to maintain that heritage, that family heritage that we have. I can maintain it, but you know, it only takes a couple of years of messing up and I could destroy it. You know, I can live my whole life and do well to maintain that heritage, but if I have a couple of really rough years in there, I can really mess up that image that has been created. You understand? Well, the message today is, that's just a little bit of introduction of who I am. It's not about me today. It's about our heritage, who we are, where we've come from, and how to maintain the heritage that we have. So, I know we, we consider ourselves to be word of faith people, but it didn't start there. Let's go back, let's backtrack a little bit, because we are evangelicals. Now, what does it mean to be an evangelical? There, there are four characteristics that all evangelicals have in common. Whether you're talking about Lutheran, Baptist, Methodist, Presbyterian, uh, Pentecostal, those are all evangelical denominations. 
I'm going somewhere with this. So the four major areas of being an evangelical is, number one, we believe you must be born again. One. Two, Christ's death and resurrection is the only sacrifice that could purchase our redemption. The only. It's exclusive. It's offensive. We'll be persecuted because of the offensive exclusiveness of that message. Yes. Thirdly, the Bible is the final authority. And number four, from where we get the name evangelical, evangelize, it means that good news, we must go and tell others. Those are the four areas where all evangelicals agree together. Now why is this guy talking about this on a Sunday morning? Because I'm seeing so many waves of doctrines that are coming and going. That unless we're well rooted in the origin, you see, if, if you have a family heritage, unless you know something about your grandparents, you will be incapable of continuing the heritage that your grandparents started. Are we together? And so unless we understand where we came from, we're going to have a problem maintaining the heritage that we have. We have a very strong heritage, which is worth fighting for. And unless the new generations understand the heritage that we have, we are going to steer off course. And I've seen it. I have seen word of faith people that do a better job of quoting a particular preacher than they do quoting the scripture. Well, if you do a better job of quoting a particular preacher than you do the scripture, I'm sorry, you're no longer evangelical. Because an evangelical is one who believes that the Bible is the final authority. Which means if you believe that the bishop is the final authority, then you are no longer evangelical. You've become a Catholic. Oh, thank you for that welcome to Lagos this morning. <laughs> We've got a heritage which is worth fighting for. These things are there for reasons. Hundreds of years. See, the scriptures don't change. We've got a lot of people that are looking for something new. But you see, Satan himself is able to transform himself into an angel of light and he will happily give you something new if you're looking for something new. People that keep looking for something new, they end up with all kinds of false doctrines. There is nothing new here. What I'm looking for is illumination, is revelation in that which has already been given. So evangelical, we believe you have to be born again. Do you know that we have word of faith people who don't understand what it means to be born again? We have word of faith people that say, just say with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Well, the Bible doesn't say that. It says believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. We have a lot of people that come to word of faith services and they come forward and they confess something, but they don't believe it in their heart and they're going down in their role as having been born again in that service and they left church not being born again because there is a lack of understanding. There must be something that changes in the heart, not just in the mouth. Why? Because some of us don't understand our heritage and don't even understand properly what it means to be born again. Jesus is Lord. When somebody is Lord, that means you replace everything you've been, everything you believe, and this becomes the capstone of your identity. Being born again is not something you add to the former culture we grew up in. It's a complete replacement. I'm talking about a heritage. Now, secondly, we're Pentecostal. 
What does it mean to be Pentecostal? Well, Pentecostal started, you know, we're over 100 years into the Pentecostal movement now. There are three things that a classical, all classical Pentecostals believe in. Three things. They are number one, we speak in tongues. In the country where I come from, in the Pentecostal denominations now, only 50% of the leadership speak in tongues. Not church members, the leadership are spirit-filled. And they call themselves Pentecostal. They're not Pentecostal. They can call themselves whatever they want to be. There are three things that signify a true Pentecostal. Number one, you speak in tongues. Did I come to the right church today? Secondly, we expect miraculous interventions in daily life. That's a true Pentecostal. Oh, we had a good revival in the 90s. No, a true Pentecostal does not live on memory lane. A true Pentecostal contends for the power and the glory of God. Thirdly, a true Pentecostal believes in living right. So these are three very basic things. But I know word of faith people today that have forgotten all about living right. Well, you're destroying our heritage. Are we together? Now, when it comes to word of faith, there are several things we can talk about. We can talk about the authority of the believer. We can talk about living by faith. We can talk about being spirit-led. We can talk about a lot of different things that are common in, in, in word of faith circles. We have a very strong heritage. A heritage only comes from stability. Without stability, you cannot build a heritage. You have to be consistent and persistent. And those are necessary ingredients in any heritage. Consistency and being persistent. As, as Rama schools around the world, we have become known of for balance, consistency, and persistency as these waves of winds come. Balance. Without balance, you know, if somebody is extreme, you're not going to build a heritage of extreme for over 50 years. Are we together? If you're extreme, you're going to die in a few years' time. Thank you for that burst of silence. <laughs> so, with this heritage, four things evangelical. You must be born again. Jesus is the only way. The scripture is the final authority. And number four, we have to go and tell. You know, we got people that live here in the city, churches, that have not even yet ever done on a, gone on a missions. Well, you're not word of faith, and you're not Pentecostal, and you're not evangelical if you're not going on the missions. We must go and tell. We got people in our country that have never heard a message. And yet we got churches on every corner in the city of Lagos. Something's wrong. We forgot our heritage. Do you know, a church that is not involved in missions is an immature church. I don't care how many thousands of members they have. Maturity will reproduce kids. A missions receiving church is not a mature church. But a church planting church, a mission sending church. You know, it's not called a great uh, recommendation. It's called the Great Commission. When you're commanded to do something, we don't have a choice. I'm talking about heritage today. 
I'm talking about continuing our heritage. Yes, I realize this may not be the message we're all standing on our chairs and shouting and all that. But sometimes we need to go back and start thinking about some of the things we're doing. Now in Acts chapter 20, Paul is thinking he will never see the Ephesians again. He is completing his third missionary journey. He's about to go to Rome, and he believes that his, his mission in, in Asia Minor is finished. In Acts chapter 20, he calls the Ephesians elders to him. And you know, when you're seeing these churches that you've worked with for years, you're, you think you're seeing them for the last time, you will give them the final most important instructions, right? You don't talk about the weather or the whatever happened in the newspaper today. You talk about some more important things. So in Acts chapter 20... And we can start looking in verse 25. Behold, I know none of you among you whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day, I'm innocent of the blood of all of you. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Look at that. I did not shrink from declaring the full counsel of God. You see, we have a lot of Christians with itching ears. If you have a prosperity seminar, they will show up. Try to announce an obedience seminar and see what happens. <laughs> because we are shrinking, being timid about certain areas of truth. I learned some years ago, when there are scriptures I don't like, I need to read them more often. Because that's where real spiritual growth is found. Now, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14, he talks about the ministry gifts having been given, so we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. By every wind of doctrine. We are going to talk about a couple of very common winds that if you just stay awake and alive for a little bit, you will encounter these two waves. Children, they run with the waves. What is God doing? Let me go over here to this prophet. What is his prophecy for 2019? Oh, I don't like this one. Oh, and then we go, oh, this one is really good. And you find these people staying put for one or two years, and then they start running to see if they can find another wind somewhere. Children. Thank you for your amen and enthusiasm. A speed car can easily maneuver and go somewhere. But a speed car does not carry any impact. It doesn't carry any weight. It doesn't carry any load. It can only take one driver and that's it. But a train. It takes a little while to get the train going. It takes a little work to lay the track. But once you have that train going, you can carry hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of tons. And if a speed car in the way, it'll just shatter. Because that car is no match for a train. Now that train, it must go on two rails. And if you remove one rail, you will have derailed the train. The gospel is a train. It is not a bullet. And there is nothing that can stop the mighty move of the truth of the Word of God when it runs on both rails. When it's running in balance. But if you go on one side, you are unbalanced, you will stumble, you will fall. We walk on two feet. You cannot run on one foot. You can only hop around. So what are the two waves? Throughout church history, people have erred by focusing only on grace, faith, and redemption. And when that wave has been going on for a while, somebody will go, wait a minute, do we not have a responsibility? 
And somebody will go, yes, we do. And then they will go over and start talking about holiness and right living. The church is a good job of, through church history, you will find the church in one ditch or the other. And so over time, now we have a move. We have one in Kenya right now. All they talk about is repentance and holiness. They're in the ditch. They have derailed. And then we have another move over here where we talk about grace. Brother, it's all grace. You don't have to do anything. Jesus has done everything for you. Don't worry about a thing. Do whatever you want to, whatever you feel like, because His grace is sufficient. It covers anything you can think of and you can do. And we have people living like heathen because of it. It's another ditch. I'm talking about heritage. If you're going to create a heritage, build a heritage, or maintain a heritage, you must run on both rails. Are you starting to see where we're going today? So in the book of Romans, which is Paul's most complete work on what he believed, you know, it's the only epistle he wrote to somebody he had not visited. Every other epistle, he kind of just touched on something he had already told them. But in the book of Romans, he does a more complete explanation. And the book of Romans can be divided into three main sections. The first eight chapters is what Christ has done for us. It's redemption, what he paid, and he paid fully. Chapters 9, 10, and 11 deals with the question of what about Israel. We're not going to go into that today. That's a different day. But then from chapter 12, 13, and to the end of the book, he deals with practical implication of Christian living as a result of the redemption that Christ provided for us. Are we together? If you read the book of Ephesians, you have three chapters on redemption. You have three chapters on practical Christian living. Paul did not put his pen down after three chapters in the book of Ephesians. We have people today that say, you don't need to bother about the works of the flesh that it talks about in Galatians. What is that? It is non-evangelical Christians. Are you getting me? In the book of Galatians, we have four chapters on redemption. You see, the Galatians' problem was they left the message of righteousness by faith and they tried to go back into the Mosaic Law. So Paul spends four chapters talking about redemption and righteousness comes by faith. It does not come by works. But yet he spends two chapters talking about right living. Are we together? In order to stay in ministry, in order to have an effect on our community, in order to impact our nation, we must stick to the true gospel. I see some of you still looking at me funny. Well... I may talk more about this second service, we'll see, but if you're believing God for a big house, a better car, and trying to put some more beautiful jewelry on your wife, if that's what you're using your faith for, then you have very, very small faith. I don't care if you're looking for a $3 million house. That's small thinking. You're only thinking about stuff that's going to burn. You're only thinking about stuff that will have zero eternal impact. You're only thinking about stuff that nobody will talk about at your funeral. We have a biblical word for it. It's called selfishness. Abraham, David... Moses, Noah, those are the people found in the whole of faith. 
you will find honor and integrity in their lives. You will find right living in their, those people's lives. Joseph, Potiphar's wife is trying to go after him. Why should I do this thing and sin against God? He's not concerned about what's Potiphar going to say. He's got a fear and a reverence of God. Right living, put him in the palace. I said right living, put him in the palace. See, these things put them into the hall of faith. If my faith is only for me, I'm a baby Christian. People are only believing God for stuff for themselves. They're baby Christians, every single one of them. I don't care if they have a title. Yeah, there are some people with titles that are baby Christians. So in the book of Romans, chapter 1, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. This is the thesis of the book of Romans. Chapter 2, verse 12, For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. Jews and Gentiles, they are both perishing without Christ. That's Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 3, verse 20. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. But now, there is a change here. But now, that's a transition in Paul's writings. The righteousness of God has been manifest apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. Without the righteousness of God that came through Christ, there is no righteousness because the law required that you follow the whole entire law. And James says the one who is guilty of breaking one point is guilty of breaking the entire law. And that's why the law promised righteousness to those who would keep it, but nobody kept it. And therefore it shone the light on them that they were unrighteous. And that's why they had a temple so that they could run back and have a covering temporarily for one year. So in Leviticus chapter 16, you have the Day of Atonement. It covers for one year. Next year, you go back and you cover the exact same thing again. In chapter 4, we have the example of Abraham. In verse 3, for what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Abraham found a righteousness by faith before the law was even there. Now in verse 4, to him who works... His wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. You know, these people that are in the ditch of holiness, very often they start thinking, yes, Christ paid the penalty, but he paid 99% and I still have one remaining percent to pay. You understand what I'm trying to say? It's not completely free. Healing is not completely free. I need to do something, at least something. And we have people in the Word of Faith camp that says, I believe I'm healed, I believe I'm healed, I believe I'm killed. Oh, that was 10. Let me continue. I believe I'm healed, I believe. And we have the mentality that by works of confessing long enough, the healing will come. But the mentality is still by works. No, healing is always free. Freely you have been given, freely give. Freely you have received and freely give. There is one who tried to pay for the power of God. Simon the sorcerer in the city of Samaria. Peter told him, go to hell with your money. May you perish with your money is what Peter said. Trying to pay for the anointing is called witchcraft. Can't be bought. No, it is free. Because Christ paid the full gift. And if you're trying to go, well, you know, I went to a store in Kenya and it said, this salesperson in the store was trying to get me some biscuits or something and say, this one is free. You buy two, the third one is free. I said, is it free? Yes, yes, completely free. I said, give me the free one then. I said, no, 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 you have to buy two. Well, it's not free then. Liar. It's just a gimmick. Christ didn't come like that. 
he paid fully. And that means there is absolutely zero payment that can be made in order for us to obtain salvation. It is by faith and faith in the work that Christ did, not in what I'm trying to do. That's the gospel of redemption. So Abraham believed God and that was counted to him as righteousness before circumcision, before he had worked. Chapter 5, verse 17. So if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, Adam, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness. You know, somebody's trying to give you a million dollars and they say you have to pay $10 to get it. It's almost free, but it's not free. You have to do something. But it's the free gift of righteousness, and we will reign in life, in this life, through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the redemption message. That's the message of faith. That's the message of grace, whatever you want to call it. In the 90s, we called it the message of faith. Now we're trying to call it the message of grace. You know, it doesn't matter what facet you look through a diamond in. It's the same diamond. It's Christ. So God lays out the doctrine of justification, but in chapter 6, verse 12, He says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies. He gives a preview to chapter 12. There is such a thing as right living. Chapter 12, verse 1. I appeal to your brothers by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. We've got a responsibility as a result of what Christ has done for us. Yes, healing is free, redemption is free, righteousness is free, peace is free. All those are gifts that are given completely free. But that doesn't mean it's okay for us to be passive. No, the Christian life is an active life. Chapter 12, verse 9. Let love be genuine. Oh, no, wait a minute, brother. If they were really born again and the Spirit of God is living on the inside of them, you don't need to give them any instruction because that Spirit of God on the inside would automatically uh, instruct them and tell them everything to do. Liar. Because if that were true, you know, Paul is writing on papyrus. That's expensive. You don't waste papyrus when you're writing. So if that were true, there would have been a period at Romans at the end of chapter 11, chapter 12, 13, 14 would not have been there. Would not have been needed. Are you still with me today? Chapter 13, verse 1. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. Uh Uh-oh, I could camp on that one for a while. That's the one that we tend to draw back from. Let's not talk about that because we might not get a crowd if we talk about that one. Paul said, I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole full counsel of God. If people don't want to hear the truth over time, Some of those people, I question their salvation. Salvation is not fake. It's not superficial. It's not a coat you put on on Sunday morning and leave at the altar when you leave church on Sunday and then you live like a heathen Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Are we together today? This was written to the, to the Romans, to Rome. That's where the emperor lived. Evil, as evil as you can be. Some of us complain about our current government. We have nothing to complain about here compared to what they had to complain about in Rome. We have it very good here. 
Try going into the Central African Republic. Try going into Somalia if you want to talk about some rough government. It's not here. We have it good. We're complaining. These people are so bad, I don't want to listen to anything they have to say. No, he said, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. You see, it isn't enough to be born again and have the Spirit of God on the inside and just, oh, just be led by the Spirit, brother. No. The Bible doesn't say that. It says be subject to the governing authorities. In other words, sin still has to be defined and talked about. Are you here? You're looking good, by the way. Yeah, but there are ways that we don't have to follow that law. Yeah, the way you don't follow the law is called corruption. Excuse me for my popular message. <laughs> Some people want the honor of God, but they don't want to humility, uh, uh, humble themselves under the mighty hand of God. No, it says humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. You do it the way that God wants it done, whether the neighbor is doing it that way or not. See, at the end of the day, I'm not answering compared to what my neighbor is doing. At the end of the day, I'm answering to the Lord Jesus Christ. And the question is not, what have you done compared to your neighbor? The question is, what have you done with what I gave you to do? So that's the book of Romans. Let's look, let's look briefly in Galatians. Chapter 2, verse 16. In verse 15, Paul says, we, I'm a Jew by birth and not a Gentile sinner. Yet I know, or yet we know, that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we have also believed in Christ in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Chapter 3, verse 13, this is shouting ground. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. He became the curse. I don't have to carry any curse. What's the curse? You go read Deuteronomy chapter 28. You can read the entire blessing and the entire curse of the law right there. It's all outlined. You know, any covenant... You have a responsibility. There was a sacrifice made for that covenant to happen. There are responsibilities of that covenant. As long as you follow the responsibility, you partake of the blessing. If you break the responsibility, you partake of the curse. Are we together? Yes. With Christ, He paid the penalty for the broken covenant. You know, the Ten Commandments was broken undelivered. The first commandment says, You shall have no other God before me. And they were worshiping the golden calf on delivery. It was always a broken covenant. And so you can't find righteousness by following the old covenant. And so Paul says, we are believing that what Christ did is enough. I don't have to do it myself anymore. That's the, that's the gospel of redemption. But in chapter 5, verse 16, But I say, walk by the Spirit, you'll not satisfy the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, desires of the spirit against the flesh, and these are opposed to one another to keep you from doing the things you want to do. If you're led by the spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity. Sense. I have a friend in Germany who read this particular portion of scripture in church, and a person comes up to him and says, I wouldn't, believe, I wouldn't read that in church if I were you, because people will fall back under, under, under condemnation and legalism. What? That's a person who doesn't believe that the Bible is the final authority. They are no longer evangelical. I'm talking about heritage today. I'm talking about right living, and I am talking about the benefits of what Christ has done for us. It cannot be bought. You cannot buy them. But you can also not believe that Christ is Lord and continue to live like a heathen. Yes, 
And then it says in verse 21, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. It's not a complete list. Sin needs to be explained and spelled out because we have people coming into the kingdom with a culture that is contrary to the word of God and they need to be retrained on biblical culture. Otherwise, we end up like we have in the Western world today. People live together without being married. And then they get born again and come to church and they continue living together as, as if they're married. And the church is not saying anything about it. That's crazy. It's sin. If you want to sleep in the same bed, get married. And make sure it's the only one you're married to. Praise the Lord. There is a right way to live. There is a wrong way to live. And don't get the two confused. Ephesians chapters 1 and 2. Let's look here in chapter 2. Verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. It's not a result of works. So that no one may boast. Oh, look what my faith got me. No, your faith didn't get you anything. Jesus got you something. That's nothing but pride. Boasting. No, you can't boast about it. It's a gift. It's not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. Now in verse 10. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Here's the way it works. Good works will never produce salvation. Salvation will always produce good works. If you want to carry a trailer, you make sure the trailer goes after the car. Otherwise, you'll have a problem. Right? The buggy goes after the horse. We have a saying, don't put the cart before the horse. There is a sequence. There is an order to things. See, we have told the alcoholic, if you will leave the bottle alone, God will save you. That's a lie. You can tell a sinner to stop sinning and he will still be a sinner because the nature, the sin nature is still in them. You don't get saved by stopping sinning. No, you become saved by believing in the sacrifice and the gift of Christ. We told the prostitute, clean up and God will save you. That's a lie. No, you come to Jesus the way you are. You know, you find prostitutes in the hall of faith. Hebrews chapter 11. God's concerned with them too. Some churches will kick him out. Uh oh. <laughs> but when salvation has come, James says, faith without works is dead. True faith will always produce good action. Praise the Lord. So we are his workmanship. We are created in Christ Jesus for good works. We have the great commission. We are supposed to go do something and we're supposed to live an honorable life that the word of God may not be blasphemed, it says. Because when you talk to a neighbor and invite them to church, they go, why should I go? It's full of hypocrites. Isn't that what happens? Yes. And their testimony is true. Yeah, churches are full of hypocrites. What do you mean? Well, what I'm talking about is this. When I see a believer on Monday morning, praise the Lord. How are you? How was your weekend? And I find somebody in, at my place at work who's not a believer, and I go, how are you? You're a believer? How are you? Did you have a good weekend? It's so good to see you. And then by Friday, we want to invite this one to church. Hypocrites. 
No, by this shall, shall, shall all men know that you're my disciples, that you have love, a genuine love for one another. What's a genuine love? No, there's no, there's no, con, uh, 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 there's no good in, in loving those who love us because sinners even do the same. Love is only shown when you have an opportunity to not show love. Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. And then he says, I give you a new commandment to love one another even as I have loved you. Which means when you come to, to, to work on Monday morning, you better treat this one the way you're treating your brother and sister. With the same kind of love that Jesus would treat them. Then you can invite them to church on Sunday. And they'll have a reason to say, yes, yeah, there's something different about you. Are we together? You see, many churches, we have lost our testimony. Because right living is not so much preached. We have spent so much time talking about redemption and healing, what Christ has done for us. Are we together? This thing has to be trained, has to be taught. What do I have? Do I have five more minutes? Time is up. Stand up together. We have a heritage. We're evangelical. We're Pentecostal. We can continue that heritage or we can ruin that heritage. The choice is ours. This is the generation of today. What are we going to do? Are we going to keep building the heritage of the truth and the balance of the Word of God? Are we going to run the, 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 the train on both rails so that from this place we can influence all of Africa? I said from this place we can influence all of Africa. But we better run that train on both rails. Let's lift our hands. Father, we thank you for your goodness, for your mercy. Thank you, Lord, for lives touched, changed. We will walk in your presence, walk in your honor and doing your things. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for listening to the teaching. We believe you have been blessed. Worship with us at David's Court, number 25 Mojidi Street, off Towing Street, Ikeja, Lagos. On Sundays, our first service starts by 8 a.m. and our second service by 10 a.m., while our midweek service starts by 7 p.m. on Wednesdays. Go and do great things. God bless you.